the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Today we're going to talk with Zach Smith in our second hour. He's a legal fellow in the Mies Center for Legal and Judicial Studies at the Heritage Foundation. We're going to talk about the president's appearance in Georgia today to talk about voting rights, voting rights legislation. And we'll also talk with Bill McLeod. He is executive director of Mission Connection Northwest. Well, this year's event coming up next week in person at Village Church in Beaverton. That's the 21st and 22nd. I can hardly believe it's that soon, but uh, nonetheless, would encourage you to register online. That is required. The event is still free, but you do need to register. We'll talk with Bill McLeod about that when he joins us later in the second hour of today's program. Well, the president declared today that Democrats had no option but to change the filibuster rules to pass a pair of voting rights bills hours after the Senate minority leader, Mitch McConnell, warned the changes could silence the voices of millions of Americans, saying, I believe the threat to our democracy is so grave that we must find a way to pass these voting rights bills, debate them, vote, let the majority prevail. Biden said in a speech at Morehouse College in Atlanta, if that bare minimum is blocked, we have no choice but to change the rules, including getting rid of the filibuster for this. Well, he certainly does have a choice. And it's rather interesting, again, talking about politicians. Uh, then Senator Biden, as well as Chuck Schumer and others, uh, considered changing the filibuster the absolute wrong thing to do when the other party was in power. Now, of course, the Republicans considered changing the filibuster because it was at that time in their interest. Um, the remarks on the Senate floor earlier on Tuesday in his remarks, McConnell warned of consequences should the Senate waive the filibuster to pass the voting bills. He said by breaking the Senate, this Democratic leader Uh, wants to silence the voices of millions and millions of Americans. He said later, the minority leader added a post nuclear Senate would not be more efficient or more productive. I personally guarantee it. End quote. President Biden called for passage of the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, which would restore a portion of the Voting Rights Act of 1965 that required districts with a history of racial discrimination to obtain Justice Department approval before changing local elections procedures. The president also called to pass the Freedom to Vote Act, which would set national standards for voter ID by allowing a range of documentation, set a 15-day minimum early voting period, and make it easier for the state residents to sue their legislatures over redistricting issues. It would essentially federalize elections. Well, in a Dear Colleague letter this week, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer warned that if Republicans refuse to support the Democrats' efforts to nationalize elections, which Republicans consider unconstitutional, he'll move to eliminate legislative checks and balances by blowing up the filibuster. As former Senate uh, Senator um, Robert Byrd famously said, Senate rules must be changed to reflect changes in circumstances, Schumer argued. Put more plainly by Senator Byrd, Congress is not obliged to be bound by the dead hand of the past. Of course, that dead hand of the past may have some relevance to the present 
And by the past, Schumer means only a couple of years ago when he led a record 300-plus filibuster during Donald Trump's presidency. In 2005, when Republican George W. Bush was president, Schumer coincidentally also warned that eliminating the legislative filibuster was a doomsday for democracy. So it's both a doomsday with and a doomsday without. The checks and balances which have been at the core of this republic are about to be evaporated by the nuclear option, Schumer said at that time. The checks and balances which say that if you get 51 percent of the vote, you don't get your way 100 percent of the time, end quote. Well, indeed, and that to avoid looking like a... Uh, power-hungry partisan hypocrite with absolutely no respect for the institution, Schumer rationalized his assaults on norms by pretending the nation faces an existential threat to democracy. And so Schumer has uh, fused together two of the contemporary left's most cynical and pernicious projects. First, the thrashing of the uh, filibuster, part of a broader effort to create a more direct democracy to ram through massive, unalterable policy changes with the slimmest majorities and the shortest uh, windows available. Uh, They attempted to do as much with their abuse of the reconciliation process, but have thus far failed. Now he proposes nationalizing elections by overturning the will of voters and compelling states to adopt chaotic voting regulations that he believes will favor one party in the long run. But no one has a right to vote without an ID. No one has the right to ballot harvest. And many Democrats' proposals, as in empowering the federal government to mandate gerrymandering and forcing taxpayers to finance congressional campaigns, have absolutely nothing to do with voting rights, nor do proposals meant to dismantle First Amendment protections. Obsessed with rolling back Citizens United, they've... uh, Proposed forcing organizations that engage in political discourse to disclose their donors, creating more bureaucratic impediments for those who engage in speech. On the voting front, uh, House Democrats passed a bill that would compel states to count mail-in votes that arrive up to 10 days after Election Day, require states to allow ballot harvesting, coerce states to ban voter ID laws, induce states to allow felons to vote, and mandate 15 days of early voting, automatic voter registration, and online voter registration. Well, none of this is the federal government's business. If uh, they truly believe that voter integrity laws in Georgia or Texas are threatening democracy, they would see them adjudicated in the courts, not used as a pretext to further upend the system in a power grab, which is what we're seeing. Now, later in the program, we're going to talk with Zach Smith. He's a legal fellow in the Mies Center for Legal and Judicial Studies at the Heritage Foundation. We're going to talk about the uh, president's um, speech in Georgia. And if uh, preserving election safeguards is the goal of the two pieces of legislation that are being championed and fought over and uh, in which the uh, uh, the filibuster is being reconsidered in this uh, current debate. So we'll get into that with him. That'll be at the five o'clock hour. So looking forward to that. Also, the Supreme Court heard oral arguments on Friday in two cases on an emergency basis. Both involved lawsuits stemming from the Biden administration's attempt to expand vaccinations for Americans in light of the COVID-19 pandemic and the seemingly uh, limitless variations. We're going to talk more about that when we come back from the break. Once again, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Stay with us. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I mentioned just before the break that the Supreme Court heard oral arguments. That was on Friday in two cases on an emergency basis. Both of them involved lawsuits that stemmed from the Biden administration's effort to expand vaccination of Americans in light of the ongoing pandemic. Well, the first case, NFIB versus OSHA, It arose from challenges that were filed by employers, including the Heritage Foundation and states against the Occupational Safety and Health Administration's vaccine or test mandate known as an emergency temporary standard and emergency rule applying to employers with 100 employees or more. Well, in that case, the plaintiffs argued that the Occupational Safety and Health Action of 1970 didn't clearly authorize OSHA to command a rather commandeer businesses into implementing a vaccine or testing mandate covering perhaps. 84 plus million Americans. Well, the plaintiffs also argued that OSHA was requiring um, required rather to use regular notice and comment procedures required by the Administrative Procedures Act, a way to ensure uh, thoughtful and public rulemaking by executive agencies instead of issuing an emergency rule. Well, the second case, Biden versus Missouri, it involves state filed lawsuits that sought to block a vaccine mandate issued by the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services under the Medicare and Medicaid laws for workers at health care facilities. Well, the states argued that the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services lacked the authority to condition a facilities uh, participants in those programs on compliance with a vaccination mandate for all health care professionals and personnel. Well, the states also maintain that by statute, the federal government can't manage personnel decisions at medical facilities, but the mandate would um, impermissibly have that effect. So it's a matter of authority. Well, three justices, Stephen Breyer, Sonia Sotomayor, and Elena Kagan, focused on factual aspects of the case rather than the law. Well, among other things, the justices emphasize that SARS-CoV-2 poses serious health risks to whomever it infects, that hundreds of thousands of people have been infected just since January 1st, that the disease it causes, COVID-19, is potentially fatal to some individuals, and that the issue itself is a simple one to wit whether the government's programs should be allowed to go forward during the pendency of the litigation. Well, to the last point, those justices repeatedly questioned counsel about the harm that the public would suffer if the mandates were delayed even for a second, as Breyer said. In fact, most of the oral argument in the OSHA and Centers for uh, Medicare and Medicaid Services cases was devoted to the discussion of the facts rather than the law. Well, this is significant because no provision of the Occupational Safety and Health Act or the Medicare and Medicaid program statutes authorizes OSHA or the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services to make medical decisions for employees by coercing them to be vaccinated, despite how dire such facts may potentially be. In fact, no act of Congress expressly authorizes any federal agency to demand that anyone be vaccinated against any disease. Well, some of the justices, including Justice Brett Kavanaugh, made this important legal point, but it might have been lost among the torrent of of worst case hypotheticals offered by Breyer, Sotomayor, Mayor rather, and Kagan. Well, in the OSHA mandate argument, Chief Justice John Roberts made clear that the federal mandates have been referred to as workaround, a reference echoed by Justice Neil Gorsuch. He went on to ask the government's attorney, U.S. Solicitor General Elizabeth uh, Prelugger, uh, what are you trying to work around? Well, Justice Amy Coney Barrett asked, when exactly does the authority to issue such an emergency regulation and the pandemic that supports it end? Well, the absence of a self-limiting principle seemed to be problematic for all of the conservative justices. 
Well, when uh, at last um, asked the Supreme Court to approve an expansion interpretation of the federal agency's authority, the Biden administration had a rough go of it. Last August, the Supreme Court determined in Alabama Association of Realtors versus the Department of Health and Human Services that the Federal Centers for Disease Control and Prevention lacked the authority to impose a nearly nationwide ban on the eviction of non-payment of rent of tenants from residential rental properties. The Supreme Court made it clear that agencies have only the authority that Congress has given them via a duty enacted statute and that COVID-19 pandemic does not supply additional statutory power despite its dangerous and deadly consequences. Well, the Medicaid and Medicare health care facility mandate and the OSHA workplace mandate both stem from statutory language that has never been used to require vaccination. Well, the questioning from some justices seemed to indicate that under either law, the government lacks any authority to do so. The court's likely to issue an order in the two cases in the very near future, either halting the vaccination mandate or allowing them to go forward with options to follow. Whatever the outcome in the case or cases in this case, uh, their consequences promise to reverberate for some time. Rather interesting to consider the questions and the comments made by the justices to try to uh, understand the direction they are likely to go. Well, in other news, CDC Director Rochelle Walensky failed to disclose how many deaths were from COVID-19. Now, get the phrase from COVID-19, saying data will be forthcoming. Well, critics demanded answers from the CDC director on Sunday after she hedged on how many of the COVID-19 related deaths in the United States were directly due to the virus and how many were individuals who died of COVID-19 yet had underlying conditions. Do you know how many of the 836,000 deaths in the U.S. linked to COVID are from COVID or how many are with COVID, but they had other um, comorbidities? Do you have a breakdown? Yeah, she was asked on Fox News Sunday by Brett Baer. Yes, of course, with Omicron, we're following that very carefully, Walensky responded. Our death registry, of course, takes a few weeks to collect. And of course, Omicron was just... Um, has just been with us for a few weeks, but those data will be forthcoming, end quote. Her answer only frustrated critics of the administration uh, who have um, been asking about that distinction over uh, COVID-19 related deaths for quite some time. A shatteringly bad outing outside of the uh, protected zone of friendly cable TV nets, Rasmussen reports in its reviews. Well, in other developments, the Omicron wave is receding at the global epicenter. The CDC is cautiously optimistic. Walensky says Justice Sotomayor's uh, pediatric COVID hospitalization numbers were dramatically off. And Moderna's CEO is pushing for a second COVID-19 booster shot, but doctors aren't yet convinced it's necessary. The Arizona hospital staffing crisis means COVID-positive symptomatic employees will be permitted to work. Chicago public schools closed for a fourth straight day as the mayor blasted the teachers union for their illegal walkout. The Chicago public schools have canceled classes for a fourth consecutive day as city officials and representatives from the um, Chicago teachers union have failed to come to an agreement on coronavirus safety measures that has since been resolved. We'll tell you more about that momentarily and other developments. The teachers union in Chicago, the president says, um, saying that remote learning is bad is just a talking point for Mayor Lightfoot. Chicago parents filed a lawsuit against the teachers union saying the rug was um, ripped right out from under us again. Chicago public schools closed despite having received nearly two point eight billion dollars in federal covid funding. 
The Bronx apartment building uh, fire killing multiple people, including children, while firefighters were among the injured there, is considered one of the worst in history, um, at least uh, current history. AOC has tested positive for COVID-19 after partying in Miami, maskless. A CEO embraced the great resignation, offering $5,000 to employees who quit. And investors uh, who served painful uh, lessons on higher interest rates as markets began to cool. And another big tech company uh, traded liberal California for a business-friendly red state. Well, Chicago schools uh, will, in fact, reopen after a deal was reached between the uh, union and the city. Lori Lightfoot, the Chicago mayor, announced on Twitter late Monday the public school children in the city will be able to return to classes on Wednesday after leaders from the teachers union approved a plan with the district. After a productive day at the bargaining table, I am pleased to report CTU will end their work uh, stoppage, the mayor tweeted. Uh, The Chicago Public Schools put a great proposal on the table that both bargaining teams discussed in detail today. That's a quote from yesterday. Well, the public uh, discourse discord rather between the teachers union and the city was on display up until hours before the agreement was announced. Jesse Sharkey, the president of the teachers union, told the Chicago Sun-Times that the mayor is being relentless, but she's being relentlessly stupid, relentlessly stubborn, end quote. Well, the deal, which would uh, have students in classes on Wednesday and teachers a day earlier, still requires approval by the union's full 25,000 members, according to the union. The union did not immediately respond uh, to more details. J.P. Morgan CEO Diamond sees a very strong economy this year. Let's hope uh, he's right. Jamie Diamond has a good feeling about where the U.S. economy is headed, saying, I think that the table is set for a very strong economy, Uh, that consumers have a lot of money, businesses have a lot of money, and they are spending it. Well, stagflation is an issue we'll maybe get to later in the program confidence levels are going up diamond continued jobs are plentiful wages are going up it's pretty strong of course finding people to occupy those jobs has been a problem diamond added this will be one of the strongest economies we've um, ever seen in 2021 and 2022 will probably be pretty good too the full interview uh, was aired um, with uh, mornings with maria on tuesday The NAACP and BLM and other groups are silent amid disappointing jobs numbers and the rise in black unemployment. A billionaire supermarket CEO warned of a potential meat and egg shortage as Omicron continues to disrupt the U.S. supply chain. And a survey shows half of teachers are considering quitting jobs. Americans' inflation fears remain at a a record high, according to a New York Fed survey. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our second hour, we'll talk with Jack Smith. He's legal fellow in the Mies Center for Legal and Judicial Studies at the Heritage Foundation. We'll talk about the president's speech in Georgia on election reforms or voter reforms. We'll also talk with Bill McLeod, executive director of Mission Connection Northwest, coming next week. In person at Village Church in Beaverton, that's the 21st and 22nd, Friday night, all day Saturday. So check it out. You can go to missionconnection.com for details. You have to register online, but the event is, as always, free. Well, Georgia topped Alabama to win college football national championship. The quarterback, Stetson Bennett, fired two touchdown passes in the fourth quarter to help lift the Bulldogs to their first national championship since 1980, beating Alabama 33-18. to 
While the Fed chair hammered home his uh, commitment to cooling red-hot inflation, let's hope he's successful, J.P. Morgan CEO Diamond calls a very strong economy this year. John Ossoff is exploring a bill to ban Congress stock trades, refuting Speaker Pelosi. Sotomayor, the justice, uh, spread false information as the vaccine mandates was argued before the Supreme Court. She stole the day with a bizarre false claim that there were over 100,000 children with COVID in serious condition. Ed Morrissey looked at the number of uh, uh, blunders in her questioning during that hearing last week. President Biden gave approval to discriminate on COVID treatments based on race. Guidance issued by the administration states certain individuals may be considered high risk and more quickly qualify for monoclonal antibodies and oral antivirus used to treat COVID based on their race or ethnicity. In a fact sheet issued for health care providers by the Food and Drug Administration, the federal agency approved emergency use authorizations for the antibody proven to be effective against Omicron variant only to patients considered high risk. The president gave fewer uh, year one press conferences than any of his five predecessors. The only one in single digits as nobody else was close. New York's mayor defended choosing his brother as deputy uh, NYPD commissioner due to um, white supremacists. The new mayor of New York, Eric Adams, said that he will be in charge of my security, which is extremely important to me at a time when we see an increase in white supremacy. Carol Markowitz points out, remember when Eric Adams was going to be a saner voice? That was eight long days ago. AOC was has tested positive for COVID after partying maskless in Miami. Like many politicians, she went to Florida to experience freedom, freedom that others are being denied. New York law will allow 800,000 illegal aliens to vote in local elections. The only way to stop it now is in court. Uh, John Fun points out, starting in 2023, the city will have a, to print separate ballots for city races since non-citizens will still be barred from voting in statewide in presidential elections. But make no mistake, the new uh, New York law is part of a nationwide push to blur the very meaning of citizenship and promote non-citizen voting everywhere and for all offices. In Ontario, there are over three times more vaccinated than unvaccinated COVID cases in hospital, something we're likely seeing in many other big cities. The Ivy League announced support for the male swimmer breaking female swimming records. Women are seeing their dreams smashed by a man, and the Ivy League is calling it inclusive. Parents are speaking out against the absurdity of it all. New York City plans to install drug overdose vending machines. Uh, the health officials there have announced a plan to install 10 public health vending machines that would dispense sterile syringes and anti-overdose uh, medication and other harm reduction supplies to help neighborhoods that have been uh, hit hard by drug overdoses. A U.K. supermarket chain plans to scrap use-by dates on milk to stop waste. They believe the words best before will change the habit of dumping old milk. Mansion and cinema are not the only Democrat obstacles to removing the filibuster. A story in Politico notes that Mark Kelly, John Tester and Jean, uh, Jean Shaheen aren't yet on board either. Senator Mitch McConnell says since Senator Schumer is uh, bent on trying to break the Senate, Republicans will show how this reckless action would have immediate consequences. According to a new poll, the economy and inflation are the top concerns, while COVID is low on the radar. Barely over a third of Americans ever have uh, even have the virus in the top five. Meanwhile, yet another Democrat House member says he plans to retire. 
The California governor's budget includes health care for illegal immigrants. Gavin Newsom wants to expand medical health coverage to all low-income illegal immigrants in the state. Byron York points out that Governor Newsom wants California to become the first state to pay for health care for all adults who are living in the country illegally, a move that would eventually cost $2.2 billion per year for the state. California pays for this and more by hammering the rich. The state has the highest unemployment rate in the country. New York and California lose over 600,000 people for lower taxed states. More than 600,000 people are leaving New York and California for lower tax states during the pandemic. CNBC wealth editor Robert Frank reported that's according to census data. California lost 300,000 residents between April of 2020 and July of 2021. New York lost 365,000 people, about 2 percent of its total population, he added. Illinois ranked third in the report, losing about 114,000 residents. An L.A. Times columnist called for mocking the unvaxxed who died of COVID. No mercy, no compassion. Michael Hildzik is a Pulitzer Prize winner. Early in his column, he explains, on the one hand, a hallmark of civilized thought is the sense that every life is precious. On the other, those who have deliberately flouted sober medical advice by refusing a vaccine known to reduce the risk of serious disease from the virus, including the risk to others, and end up in hospital or grave um, can uh, be viewed as receiving their just desserts, end quote. No room for people who cannot or should not have the vaccine. Uh, he has a history of similar statements, by the way. Florida Governor DeSantis is making escape to Florida shirts, having fun with the expense of COVID-fearing woke. California hospitals changed their policy after realizing most COVID patients aren't their uh, 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 due to COVID, the California Department of Public Health announced that most hospitals and skilled nursing facilities can bring COVID positive and exposed staff back to work without testing or uh, quarantines. The staffers must be asymptomatic, are required to wear N95 masks, and are encouraged to work with patients who are already COVID positive as much as possible. Later, after reviewing the charts of every COVID positive patient at UCSF hospitals from on January 4th, Dr. Uh, Gene Noble, an associate professor of emergency medicine at UCSF, determined that 70% of them were in the hospital for other reasons. Over 100 ships are still waiting off the coast of Los Angeles. It's now at its uh, peak as the uh, state is incapable of uh, unloading the ships as stores see their shelves remain bare. The story, uh, story concludes it's troubling that the number of ships is reaching a record high at this time of year. January and February come after the peak season of the holidays, and they're usually a time when companies cut seasonal workers and regroup in preparation for the next peak season. Between the conclusion of the American holiday season and the upcoming Chinese New Year celebrations, now is the time to catch up on backlogs for the congestion to continue to increase through the conclusion of the holidays is not a good sign. And companies will have to have a hard time rather catching up before the next peak season starts in August. This problem is not going away anytime soon. Well, a Christian woman won her harassment case against a hospital in the U.K. The 61-year-old nurse was demoted for wearing a cross necklace. She explained Hindus wear red bracelets on their wrists and female Muslims wear hijabs in theater. Yet my small cross around my neck was deemed so dangerous that I was no longer allowed to do my job. Well, from Franklin Graham, I'm so happy for Mary Anohu. Uh, this ruling in her favor is a win for all people of faith.
Well, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up later in the second hour, we'll talk with uh, Jack Smith. We'll talk about the president's trip to Georgia to uh, promote his voting rights legislation. And we'll talk with Bill McLeod about upcoming Mission Connection Northwest 2022 in person at Village Church in Beaverton. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Second hour, we're going to talk with uh, Jack Smith. We'll talk about the president's effort to pass two pieces of voting rights legislation. And Bill McLeod, executive director of Mission Connection Northwest, will join me to talk about the event next weekend in person at Village Church in Beaverton. Well, the media employed poll agenda Um, To further the J6 narrative, that's the January 6th narrative, six in 10 Americans say U.S. democracy is in crisis as the uh, uh, the big lie takes root, blares the headline from taxpayer funded NPR, colluding with the the, uh, um, promoters of the idea that narratives heading into the daunting 2022 election landscape, that that is the uh, the prevailing view. But as Dan Bongino astutely observes when. Um, something is lost. Democracy is falling apart. They're like the Praetorian guards of democracy. It's their Hail Mary when they can't argue the issues anymore, which is pretty much every day. Truth is they see the writing on the wall in 2022 and many others do as well. End quote. Well, the White House released misleading information on Biden's jobs numbers. The White House recently posted on social media a graph depicting average jobs created per month by the last seven presidents with the statement under President Biden, the economy has created more jobs per month than under the any other president ever. Well, the graph depicts Biden being credited with creating 550,000 jobs monthly, far outpacing the next closest president, Bill Clinton, at 100,000 jobs. The sole president credited only with jobs uh, lost was, of course, Donald Trump, under whom the economy was uh, dislodged thanks to COVID pandemic. Well, like last month's graph celebrating a two cent reduction in the, ga- the uh, gallon of gas, the White House has done uh, done it again by comparing a one year sample size against the entire four and eight, four and eight year terms of previous presidents. Even the Washington Post fact checker Glenn Kessler uh, couldn't take the blatant deceit. Trump used to do the same thing until his record was uh, spoiled by the job losses in his last year, he wrote. Don't count your chickens before they hatch. Meanwhile, Biden's economy is still down about four million jobs compared to Trump's pre-pandemic numbers. Double the transgenders, double the confusion at an Ivy League women's swim meet over the weekend. Two transgender swimmers competed. Leah Thomas, a biological male who for the previous three years competed in the men's division until he declared himself a woman this season, went head to head against um, Isaac Hennig, a biological female who has declared herself a male and has undergone breast removal surgery. Thomas, who's been destroying women's swimming records this season, lost to Hennig. To recap the confusion, a male swimmer identifying as a female lost to a female swimmer identifying as a male. And all of this happened at a women's swim meet. As one uh, bewildered University of Pennsylvania parent stated, everything is messed up. I can't wrap my head around this. The NC2A needs to do something about it. They need to put science into the decision and the discussion. Jim Jordan declined as unprecedented and inappropriate a January 6th committee request for cooperation. CNN's Mary Catherine Hamm torched her own network in a viral rant. And YouTube oligarchs scrubbed a music video critical of Biden's Afghanistan withdrawal. 
Wisconsin Republican Senator Ron Johnson will seek re-election. A disgraced FBI number two, Andrew McCabe, calls for feds to treat mainstream conservatives like domestic terrorists and prospects dim as the U.S. and geopolitical foe Russia meet over Ukraine. 500 school districts publicly declared only woke teachers need apply. And Amazon and Walmart decreased COVID leave time for their employees. Alec Baldwin insists he's complying with the Rust investigation despite not yet turning over his cell phone as requested. An Australian judge says that the uh, uh, tennis player, I can never pronounce his name, Djokovic, uh, can stay, but the saga is not over yet. Gubernatorial candidates Abrams snubbed Biden's Georgia visit. That was her issue. Joe Biden headed down to Atlanta to stump for the Democrats' dubious um, federalizing election law. She said she had other commitments. He compared the uh, ridiculously likened um, the Georgia voter integrity laws to Jim Crow. Uh, already underwater in the Peach State and on the day Georgia celebrates having just won the college football championship, um, he declared to the rest of the country just how awful and terrible the state is. This may be why Stacey Abrams, whose entire political brand is built on complaining about voter integrity laws and refusing to accept election results, says she's too busy to bother attending. Both minority leader Kevin McCarthy promises Democrats a taste of their own medicine. McCarthy has promised to kick three Democrats off their committees should the Republicans win control of the House in November. And Bill Maher refuses to reject Trump voters. The leftist comedian pundit Bill Maher is refusing to buy into the January 6th narrative that demonizes Trump supporters as a threat to democracy. Noting the deep political division in the country, he argued this idea that we have to constantly be arguing politics with everyone. That's what has to stop, because when you take the politics out of the discussion, and this is coming from a person who made his living talking politics, you find that people are just people and you can't hate them. I constantly say it. You can hate Trump. You can't hate all the people who like him it's half the country and you can't set yourself up as some sort of superior moral paragon because this is your political belief and somebody else has another one end quote nancy pelosi makes millions off of her tech stocks and scoffs at the push to ban congressional trades 77 percent of voters disagree with pelosi and think members of congress have an unfair advantage in training stocks and meanwhile the fed vice chair uh, is going to step down early Uh, early rather, following scrutiny over his trades during the pandemic. A group of North Carolina voters filed a complaint attempting to block uh, Madison Cawthorn from running and an ad by the former Lincoln Project CEO comparing January 6th to a Nazi beer hall putsch draws fire. The U.S. uh, announced $308 million in aid for Afghans as the crisis grows following the Biden surrender and retreat. On this day in history, 1861, Alabama becomes the fourth state to withdraw from the Union. 1908, President Theodore Roosevelt proclaims the Grand Canyon National Monument. It would become a national park in 1919. 1913, the first enclosed sedan-type automobile, the Hudson, goes on display at the 13th National Automobile Show in New York. 1935, aviator Amelia Earhart begins an 18-hour trip from Honolulu to Oakland, California. It would make her the first person to fly solo across any part of the Pacific Ocean. 1939, British Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain and Lord Halifax, the British Foreign Secretary, meet with Italian leader Benito Mussolini in Rome. 1964, U.S. Surgeon General Luther Terry issues a Smoking in Health, a report which concludes that cigarette smoking contributes to substantially uh, um, 
rather contributes substantially to mortality from certain specific diseases and to the overall death rate. 1978, two Soviet cosmonauts aboard the Soyuz 27 capsule link up with the... um, Salyut 6 orbiting space station, where the Soyuz 26 capital, uh, capsule rather was already docked. 1989, nine days before leaving the White House, President Ronald Reagan bids the nation farewell in a primetime address, saying of his eight years in office, we meant to change a nation, and instead we changed the world. And finally, on this day in history, 2003, calling the death penalty process arbitrary and capricious and therefore immoral, Illinois Governor George Ryan commutes the sentences of 167 uh, condemned inmates, clearing his state's death row two days before leaving office. Well, coming up in the next hour of the Georgine Rice Show, we'll talk with Jack Smith. He's a legal fellow in the Mies Center for Legal and Judicial Studies at the Heritage Foundation. We'll talk about voting rights reform. And Bill McLeod, we'll talk about Mission Connection coming up Friday and Saturday, the 21st and 22nd at Village Church in Beaverton. News and traffic up next. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, as you may know, the president traveled to Georgia to champion his voting rights legislation that would require the filibuster be changed in the Senate. Well, free and fair elections, they're pretty critical to the health of our republic. It should be easy to vote, hard to cheat. Unfortunately, there are some who would rather turn this principle on its head and sacrifice one of our most cherished and hard fought rights in order to gain more political power. We're talking about H.R. 4 and H.R. 1. Here to talk about all of this is Zach Smith. He's legal fellow in the Mies Center for Legal and Judicial Studies at the Heritage Foundation on whether the um, uh, Biden administration and leftists are interested in preserving election safeguards or um, making it possible to retain power in spite of what's uh, what's in place. Hey, thank you so much for joining us, Zach. Of course. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, this push is tethered to the failure of one of the president's big um, uh, initiatives, the reconciliation bill that failed to pass, and then the anniversary, January 6th. Uh, and they've tethered this voting rights law that they're laws they're attempting to pass uh, to that event as well. First of all, let me ask you, is free and fair elections, is that the, the centerpiece of what the president is championing? And we can look at the specific legislation. But generally speaking, what is the goal here for the administration and his allies? Well, unfortunately, it doesn't appear to be safeguarding our election process here in the United States. Really, these bills, these so-called election integrity bills, are being pushed for partisan political advantage. And we have to look at this, like you mentioned, Georgine, through the larger debate about the filibuster, whether the filibuster should be altered or abolished, because if the filibuster, which currently requires two-thirds of senators to agree to end debate on the issue, if that is abolished, uh, then the Democratic majority in the Senate could simply push through uh, many, many different aspects of their radical policy agenda. And so, unfortunately, I think these uh, election reform bills are being proposed and pushed as uh, a potential wedge issues, trying to put pressure on Democratic senators like Joe Manchin, like Kirsten Sinema, who have opposed filibuster reform, trying to put pressure on them uh, to come on board and abolish the filibuster uh, so the Democratic Party can get their wish list through the Senate. Because they do have enough votes to pass it, but um, the 60-vote threshold is not uh, is not in their favor at this point. Now, my understanding is Senator Biden... 
uh, when the Republicans considered something similar, was very much opposed to the idea of getting rid of the filibuster. So this represents an about face for him because it's in his favor and the legislation that he proposes uh, to do away with it. Well, it's really ironic. It's not just Joe Biden. It's also Chuck Schumer, Schumer. Dick mm-hmm. Durbin, and many other Democratic senators who are currently uh, moving forward, trying to abolish the filibuster. If you go back and look at their statements from only a few years ago, they were ardent defenders of the filibuster, saying that it protected important minority rights in the Senate. It served an important function. It was a procedural aspect of the Senate that made it unique. And now this complete 180 really has them arguing against their previous positions. And I think they would do well to remember uh, that's what what is good for the goose today will be good for the gander uh, tomorrow, meaning that if they abolish the filibuster, if and when the Republicans take control of the Senate, uh, that lack of uh, the filibuster protecting minority rights uh, could certainly be used against the Democratic senators at that point. So it is a very short-sighted uh, effort. Well, as I mentioned, the president delivered a speech about voting rights in Georgia today. It's an historically Republican state that narrowly won in 2020. He said uh, there's an urgent need to pass legislation to protect the protect rather the constitutional right to vote and the integrity of our elections. Explain what the president is proposing in these two pieces of legislation that we're talking about, the Freedom to Vote Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act. Well, I don't disagree with Joe Biden that legislation needs to be passed to protect the integrity of our electoral system. I disagree with him about the specific policies that are being proposed and what body should pass those policies. Uh, The president, uh, Kamala Harris, uh, Vice President Kamala Harris, they're pushing uh, for federal legislation to be passed through Congress, whereas common sense election integrity measures uh, should be passed in state legislatures around the country. And we at Heritage have been working uh, to help states get those measures passed. But essentially, the bills that uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are pushing, the Freedom to Vote Act, the John Lewis uh, Voting Rights Advancement Act, those are pieces of federal legislation that would radically alter how elections are conducted in our country, or transfer power away from state and local governments, transfer that power to the federal government. In many instances, uh, transferring that power to unelected bureaucrats in the Department of Justice's Civil Rights Division, which has historically been very left-leaning, very hostile to common-sense voter integrity measures. Uh, But not only would these two pieces of legislation prohibit states from enacting uh, certain common-sense election integrity measures like requiring photo ID, they would also affirmatively require states to implement Uh, policies and procedures that would inherently make elections less secure. They would prohibit states from taking certain uh, actions to maintain the integrity of their voter rolls. They would require states to automatically register voters. Uh, They would take away the ability of state legislatures to redistrict uh, congressional districts within their state. And there's a whole host of very bad policy proposals in these bills. Uh, But the, the bottom line is, These are very bad bills, very dangerous bills. These are bills that would fundamentally transfer power away from states to Washington, D.C., and they are bills that would fundamentally transform how elections are conducted in our country. Now, why are um, Senator uh, uh, Sinema and Manchin, why are they resistant? Why they support the two bills, but my understanding is the rule change to pass them is what they object to? Uh, Yes, they do object to the... uh, 
to the abolishing the filibuster. You know, and I think if you listen to what Joe Manchin has said in the past, uh, he's made the very common sense point that you and I were just talking about, that if today's Democratic majority abolishes the filibuster, when the Democrats are in the minority in the Senate in the future, then they will no longer have the ability to filibuster legislation that they disagree with. And so for now, it appears that Joe Manchin, Kirsten Sinema are the only cooler heads prevailing among the Democratic senators in the Senate. Uh, But I think this renewed focus on these so-called election integrity bills are really designed uh, to try to put as much pressure as possible on Manchin and Sinema to support abolishing the filibuster, which I'm hopeful uh, they will hold the line, stick to their convictions and not vote uh, to change that time-honored Senate tradition. Where do Republicans stand, not just on the uh, uh, the filibuster, but on voting rights um, legislation? Well, look, I think most Republicans, uh, and this should really be a non-controversial position, uh, take the view that voting should be easy. It should be easy to vote and hard to cheat. And requiring things like a photo ID uh, is not placing an onerous burden on voters, especially if states make IDs freely available if someone can't otherwise afford one, which they should do. Uh, and if you look at the polling on this issue, uh, many Americans, the vast majority of Americans, agree that requiring photo ID, uh, encouraging people to vote in person at polling stations, Those types of common sense measures are good and appropriate and at the end of the day help us have more confidence in the outcomes of our elections. Is there hope for some bipartisan legislation on the subject? Well, certainly not uh, these two pieces of legislation, the Freedom to Vote Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act that are currently pending uh, because of their many, many problematic provisions. Uh, But if I think if Democratic senators and particularly Democratic state legislators around the country, uh, really, if they really want to make it easy to vote and hard to cheat, there are a lot of areas uh, where they can reach agreement. You know, if you look at what the Georgia legislature actually passed, the legislation that we heard that is supposedly so bad, so horrible, so disenfranchising, in many ways, it actually provides more opportunities for voters to vote than other states like New Jersey or New York. And so if Democrats are serious about making it easy to vote and hard to cheat, cheat, uh, I'm hopeful they'll get on board with some of these common sense proposals, like requiring photo ID, like encouraging individuals to vote in person, rather than focusing on these very bad, uh, very dangerous policy proposals that would make our elections less secure and less safe. Senator Chuck Schumer has promised to vote before the 17th, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day. What should we expect in the next few days? Well, I've given up uh, trying to make predictions <laughs> at this point. Um, I think you'll continue to see the pressure ramping up, really trying to push either Manchin or Cinema to flip their position, to vote to alter or abolish the filibuster. And so, again, I think it's important for their constituents to encourage them to hold the line, stay the course, and you know keep their common sense perspective on this issue uh, that the filibuster in the Senate should not be abolished. Zach Smith, thank you so much for talking with us. Of course. Thank you so much for having me on. Appreciate it. Once again, Zach Smith is legal fellow in the Mies Center for Legal and Judicial Studies at the Heritage Foundation. Up next, we're going to talk with Bill McLeod. He is the executive director of Mission Connection Northwest. The 2022 version will be in person at Village Church in Beaverton. We'll tell you all about it when he joins me for the next couple of segments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. 
You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. I know many of you have attended Mission Connection Northwest over the years and probably missed last year meeting face to face. I want to let you know, in person, Mission Connection is back this year, January 21st and 22nd at Village Church in Beaverton. Well, here to talk about it is the Executive Director of Mission Connection, Bill McLeod. Bill, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, how are we doing, Georgine? So good to be here with you. Well, I am so excited that Mission Connection is going to be back and face-to-face in 2022. Yeah, we're pretty excited, too. (laughs) It's been too long. I was grateful for the virtual version last year, but there's nothing like being in close proximity to one another to take advantage of all that Mission Connection has to offer. What differences might we expect this year, given that we are still uh, in um, the pandemic phase of COVID-19? Well, we're going to take precautions, you know, wherever, whatever church hosts us. We follow their rules, just like as if you're in another country, mm-hmm. you're going to go by the norms and the rules of that country. So we're doing everything we can to uh, to fit in with their uh, culture and so forth. So uh, we'll be wearing masks and uh, and so forth, just like you do when you go to Costco. And um, and it will, but it's still going to be a great event. Um, I'm so excited. You know, where Village Church is maybe a little smaller than what we've been at in the past. But, um, you know, we're going to have a tent over the courtyard area between the two buildings, which is a big area. We're going to have pump in hot air and uh, food, and it, it's going to be really exciting. Well, it is going to be exciting. And my first thought was, OK, is this going to be a pared down version? But I think our listeners are going to be pleased to learn that there will be 80 plus workshops 80-plus exhibits and resources, and as uh, in previous Mission Connection events, registration is required online, but the event is still free, and that is courtesy of area churches who underwrite Mission Connection, for the most part, making it possible for us to come together as the body of Christ for this great event. Yes, amen. Yeah, I mean, to have 80 exhibitors and 80 workshops, I mean, even I was amazed at what we were able to squeeze out of this this venue. Every every square foot is going to be used. I mean, if there's a broom closet, we're going to have a workshop in it. Well, and I just have to say um, thank you to Village Church for welcoming the body of Christ to come together for this missions conference. You know, we come and we settle in and we enjoy all of the events that take place over over two days. And it's a tremendous uh, burden, if I can use the word, to the congregation. And they're going to have church on Sunday morning. Everything that they typically do has to continue. But they welcome us in. Um, They are great hosts and um, we want to be great guests as well. So thank you to Village Church for saying, yes, you are welcome to come here for Mission Connection and giving us an opportunity uh, to come together uh, to con- to consider how God is calling each of us into this great mission. Now, the theme this year is It's Time. Explain what that means. Well, you know, every year we kind of pray about what uh, the Lord wants us to do, what speakers to get, and what our theme should be. And uh, I've got to say, usually it's our team that comes up with it as we pray and as we discuss. And I think uh, this year we felt an urgency. We felt an urgency that, um, you know, people are wanting to fellowship again. Uh, they're wanting to meet in person. The exhibitors are just raring to go. Uh, and so this idea of it's time. It's time that we 
begin to meet in person, that we fellowship, that we see one another. It's time to go on short-term missions. It's time to take the gospel to the world. So it all kind of fit uh, in that kind of a kind of a, an idea when we came up with that theme. And it seems to me what we've lived through over these last couple of years, I think our our neighbors are perhaps more open to uh, the gospel, that people are desperate for answers and comfort and uh, are willing perhaps to listen more than before. So whether we're called to mission in our own neighborhoods across the state or across the country or in other parts of the world, uh, it's time for us to uh, to return to the Great Commission and walk in obedience. And what a tremendous privilege we have uh, to be called to do just that, but also to have the opportunity to be equipped and encouraged and inspired and challenged at a missions conference like Mission Connection Northwest. Uh, this is the 20th anniversary of this event. You were there at the very beginning. Yeah, hard to believe. I was just a baby. <laughs> you know, 20 years is a significant milestone. And do you remember the theme of that first year? Yeah, that first year, um, we uh, we talked about uh, the, the idea of um, expand your border. And it was taken from uh, Jabez's prayer, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and um, and it's so funny because uh, you know, again, I didn't come up with that, and this is the team and this idea of expand your border. We wanted to see the gospel expanded to the ends of the earth. And um, as I mentioned, you know, this year we have uh, been able to expand Mission Connection into Phoenix, Arizona, and we're calling that Mission Connection Southwest. They will have an annual event. Uh, just like we do up here in the Northwest. And so we're seeing the Lord 20 years into this thing uh, <laughs> expand our borders. Uh, so that was kind of a, you know, uh, kind of a prophetic uh, word, I guess, 20 years ago. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And it's really interesting that during a year of where things were largely shut down, that that was when this uh, version of Mission Connection, Mission Connection Southwest, emerged and it was a successful conference calling people in the Southwest uh, to mission. So God is at work, even when we think things are at a standstill. Oh, yeah. The Lord allowed us to do so much during COVID. It was a blessing that we had this time. And uh, and I would do meetings with the teams down there. I would go down there and meet with them. And I'm excited, uh, Georgine, you're going to interview uh, Jake Embleton, who is kind of my counterpart in the Southwest. Mm-hmm. He's going to be up here. He's a fantastic guy, and uh, people are going to love him. He's going to teach a workshop, but uh, he's going to share a little bit about what we saw God do uh, down there in November when we launched. Yeah, that's just exciting. I'm looking forward to hearing more about that story. Again, we're talking about Mission Connection Northwest 2022. It's coming up the 21st and 22nd of this month at Village Church in Beaverton. And just like before, 80 plus workshops, 80 plus exhibits and resources. Registration online is required, but admission is free. You can learn more and register at missionconnection.com. And remember, connection is spelled with an X, missionconnection.com. This is the premier event, but there are other connection events that take place throughout the year. There's the short-term mission connection next month. Uh, In April, you've got the Journey Deepens connection, the prayer connection in September, Mission Connection Southwest uh, returning in November, and the student connection in November. So this is going to be another year of great opportunity uh, to really press in and listen carefully. Lord, how do you want to teach me? What are you calling me to do? How will you equip me? 
uh, to respond to the Great Commission. We're going to take a break here in just a a moment. But when we come back, we want to talk about some of the keynote speakers and the tracks that we can expect this time around for Mission Connection uh, Northwest 2022. Again, the 21st and 22nd of January at Village Church in Beaverton. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, continuing my conversation with Bill McLeod in just a few moments. So stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and I'm talking with my good friend Bill McLeod. He is Executive Director of Mission Connection Northwest, and we're talking about this year's event. Yes, it's in person, and I'm so thrilled that we're going to return. This year at Village Church in Beaverton, they have graciously invited the Body of Christ to come and uh, come together for 80-plus workshops, 80-plus exhibits and resources. Registration online is required, but admission is free. You can go to missionconnection.com for all the important details and to register. Again, that's missionconnection with an X dot com. Now let's talk a little bit about the uh, the keynote speakers. There are four of them, as we've come to expect. Who are our keynote speakers this year? Well, we're going to have Jeannie Marie. Jeannie Marie I met some years ago. Uh, she was our MC in the Southwest, but she wrote a book called Across the Street and Around the World. So if that doesn't fit the theme of uh, its time, I don't know what is. This <laughs> is uh, someone who uh, grew up as a missionary, uh, has a lot of experience, worked with an organization called Frontiers. Um, just a great uh, person, great practical help in her book. Um, so she's going to kick us off on Friday night. And then uh, Andrew Scott. Uh, is the CEO of Operation Mobilization, OMUSA, and uh, he's going to come out. He's also going to do Leadership Connection, um, and uh, the theme there is, 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 is kind of how do we scatter, how do we take our job and use it, and uh, how can our mission, uh, how can our church mission uh, emphases uh, be more effective. Uh, but yeah, so he's coming great uh, wealth of experience with, with him uh, coming from Atlanta and having a worldwide impact through OM. Um, Pastor Adrian Reeves is the director of NAMAC, National African American Mission Council. And, uh, you know, I've had a heart for years uh, to uh, mobilize more African Americans into missions. And uh, I've been able to get to know uh, Adrian over the last few years, and uh, really excited. He's a he's a real humble servant. Comes to our steering committee uh, meetings <clears throat> online <clears throat> when we do these Zoom uh, meetings, and uh, he's he's really tremendous. You're going to really enjoy uh, him. <clears throat> um, and then finally, Kevin Palau uh, will close us off. Uh, it's going to be great to have uh, Kevin here sharing about his burden for not only the world, but, you know, what he's doing through uh, in Portland, through the churches. And uh, I'm finally glad to get Kevin Palau in our pulpit. Yeah, looking forward to hearing from him. Now, one of the things I enjoy about Mission Connection, and there's a long list of things I enjoy, is the worship. It kind of brings us together, and we uh, we are engaged in common worship. This year, it's going to be a little bit different. Can you tell us about the group that will be coming to lead us in worship? Well, it's a group called Proskuneo, uh, which means in Greek to bow down. But their emphasis is um, ha- they have the vision to bring nations together in worship. And so they actually formed the same year that Mission Connection formed, 2001. And um, 
They have uh, launched a worship institute. They're, in, they're also coming out of Georgia, um, and they do a school of the arts. Um, but they say that their goal is to help the body of Christ see, live, and share the vision of multicultural, Jesus-centered worshiping communities among all peoples on earth as in heaven. And um, I think, oh, this is great. You know, this will be the first time in 20 years that we've not had a local church do the worship. And, uh, and this was John Jordan's uh, suggestion, and uh, John is the missions pastor at, uh, at Village, and uh, he and I uh, went into the ministry the same year, 1994, as mission pastors here locally. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he suggested this, and I said, sure, let's do it. <laughs> so it's going to be great to have Prospineo uh, leading us in worship. Well, that's always such a special time when we come together for the plenary sessions uh, to share that worship time. So I'm really looking forward uh, to being led by by this group. And it, uh, as you pointed out, a little bit different, not a local group, but certainly part of the, the body. So we're going to have a great time in worship. I know the plenary sessions are going to be live streamed and video is going to be, avail- be available along with auto- audio recordings of most of the workshops uh, a couple of weeks after the event. So folks who either cannot um, or um, don't have the opportunity to participate in Mission Connection in person, uh, the material will be available at some point a couple of weeks after Mission Connection has ended. Yes, that's true. Everything will be available that uh, you experience. Uh, if if a workshop is not uh, there, it's because people maybe work in countries that are closed. They don't want their names or their information that they're sharing to be out out uh, for the general public. So, but otherwise, and then they opt out of, you know, being recorded. But otherwise, everything that we have will be online within about 10 days, two weeks after the event. Excellent. Once again, we're talking about Mission Connection Northwest 2022 this year in person. So thrilled. It's at Village Church in Beaverton. There'll be 80 plus workshops, 80 plus exhibits and resources. And that is such a valuable part of are coming together, those exhibits and resources. Registration is required online. Admission is free, and you can find out more at missionconnection.com, missionconnection.com. Now, Leadership Connection takes place earlier in the day. Um, to whom is that invitation extended for Leadership Connection? You know, typically we have uh, exhibitors uh, that are in town, and they come, but really it's designed for the, you know, the pastor uh, or the uh, mission pastor or the lay person or the lay person the team, the teams who oversee missions in their local church. And we, we you know, for years, uh, we, we just always wanted to provide something for them because they're really uh, carrying out the work in the local church to help mobilize, uh, you know, their churches. So um, that's kind of the, the target audience. Uh, anybody that considers themselves part of the uh, a team uh, working in a local church uh, on any level um, will get a lot from this. Well, again, I'm just so thrilled that Mission Connection is back in person this year. As we mentioned, the theme is It's Time, and uh, you could finish that uh, phrase in so many different ways. It's time to be bold and courageous, to return to in-person fellowship in our churches, uh, to share the gospel with your neighbors through word and through deed. It's time to discover the plans and purposes God has for you to reflect God's glory. 
uh, into our communities and around the world. It's time to go into all the world and proclaim the good news to everyone. And it's time to mobilize every ethnic group to reach every tribe, tongue and nation. You know, I often think about what it's going to be like in heaven when we have um, mankind from every generation, from the very beginning to the final generation, every tribe, every tongue, every nation gathered together. What an incredible experience that is going to be. And to have the opportunity in life, in the generation that we're called to serve, to play a part in uh, populating heaven, in sharing the gospel and making his name known, uh, is just a fascinating thing. And Mission Connection inspires, encourages, and helps equip us to do just that. Yeah, amen. Imagine coming to a Mission Connection event, uh, seeing or hearing something you've never heard before, and suddenly God's using you to to impact the world somewhere, maybe right here at home. And then, like you say, getting to heaven and finding people that uh, came to Jesus because of you and because you attended Mission Connection. Yeah, that's what keeps me going. That's, yeah. That's to think about that. You know, I mentioned a few moments ago, the exhibits are really amazing to have access to so many organizations that are on the front lines that can help uh, refine perhaps your vision of, you know, where you might be able to serve, to see where your gifts might be uh, put to work, to have conversation, to have access to materials, to learn more about what God is doing uh, throughout the world. It's always very encouraging to me uh, to see all that's going on. And this is just a, you know, a sliver of what God is doing, but it helps remind us uh, that there's so much more happening than we are perhaps aware of and that we can play a part in this, this unfolding story that we are a part of the kingdom of God and can help advance that kingdom by faithfully um, stewarding the, the gifts that he's given us, the, the wisdom, the word, the Holy Spirit, all of the things we have access to, to minister uh, to the age that he's he's uh, placed us in. What a tremendous opportunity and privilege to be a part of this great event. Uh, what do you say to folks who are you know, thinking, maybe I'll attend, maybe not, inspire us? I think, I think God's created each of us to uh, play some kind of a role in the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't matter... You know, I, I often say to people, if I come into your church and I say, um, if I walk up to someone random and say, what, you know, what, what's your role in fulfilling the Great Commission? If they, if they look at me and they say, oh, oh, you want the mission pastor? He, he was just here. Let me find him. Then they don't get it. But if I say, what's your role in the mission, in fulfilling the Great Commission? And they say, well, I've never thought of that before, but I, I guess I teach Sunday school. So I guess I, I'm, I'm hoping that the children that I teach will grow up to not only love missions and missionaries, but that they would be part of the Great Commission in some form. So then I say, okay, you get it. So that's what I believe. I believe everybody has a role, and we have so many workshops and so many exhibitors because people, you know, they connect in different ways. And uh, I want to have a lot of uh, opportunities for people to say, oh, that's me. I've never heard anybody. I I didn't know that I could use this skill or this interest to serve the Lord. Oh, I'm glad I came. That's that's what we're trying to get across. We're going to have a lot of opportunities and a lot of options so that people can see where they fit in and not feel like, you know, they're just part of a, a group. Uh, but that that, that God would really use them 
personally and, yeah. and we just made them. Yeah. And there's so many amazing tracks, apologetics, business as mission, community health evangelism, disciple making movements, discipling new believers, effective evangelism. Uh, there's a track on emotional crisis care, international students, missional prayer, missionary care, missions, basics, and on and on and on. Again, you can find out more at the website, missionconnection.com. You can register there online. And again, because churches have supported this, um, this uh, event. Um, they've underwritten the majority of the cost, or at least a portion of the cost. It's free admission. Be prepared to, to give generously while you're there as well to help support this. But uh, it's it's free admission. Registration online is required, and you can find out all the important details at missionconnection.com. Well, I have to tell you, Bill, I am so grateful for your leadership and the team that you have around you that prayerfully uh, put this event together and have steadfastly continued to work toward uh, this event coming up in just a, a couple of weeks um, this year in the middle of a, a pandemic so that we can draw nearer to to Christ and be encouraged by fellowshipping with one another. So thank you for your faithfulness and thank you for taking the time to tell us a bit about it today. Well, thank you, Georgine, and thank you that you're going to be our MC once again. I don't know how many years it's been, but we appreciate you. And we appreciate the partnership with uh, KPDQ and the related uh, stations uh, because it's it's been going, uh, that relationship has been going for a long time, and we are very grateful for uh, the radio station. It's a great partnership. Bill McLeod, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Georgine. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Okay, bye-bye. Again, Bill McLeod, Executive Director of Mission Connection, in person this year. Uh, It's time at Village Church, Beaverton, January the 21st and 22nd. Register online at missionconnection.com. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment to wrap things up. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, Emmy Griffin points out that the pandemic is now endemic. We're going to have to learn to live with COVID as a risk we factor uh, we factor into every day, like the flu. Well, this is a the conclusion to which even the federal government has finally conceded. But some a very different take on what the new normal should look like. And she writes about what the new normal actually means. Well, Omicron is spreading fast, though it's uh, more mild than other COVID variants. Omicron has infected vaccinated and unvaccinated alike. The only benefit, though an important one, that the jab seems to have is that the symptoms are less severe. And that's pretty significant. On December 28th, the president finally admitted that the pandemic can't be solved at the federal level. Yet he still clings to the idea that this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Well, not a week later, the president doubled down on his intent to defeat the virus. He asserted having COVID in the environment here and in the world is probably here to stay. COVID, as we're dealing with it now, is not here to stay. The normal doesn't have to be uh, like this. We have so many more tools we developed and we continue to develop that can contain COVID and other strains of COVID, end quote. Well, saying two opposite things in the same statement. Well, the president seems unwilling for this crisis to end because with it, um, the emergency power grab ends as well. Well, an essay penned by Dr. Ezekiel Emanuel, the architect of Obamacare, Dr. Michael 
uh, Obersholm and Dr. Celine Gounder outlines the steps the president can take to establish a new normal. If those names sound familiar, it's because they were former advisors to President Biden. Well, first, they want everybody to admit that COVID is here to stay. But they also assure their readers that they're not proposing getting rid of the zero COVID policy altogether. The essay does have some reasonable ideas that really have been a positive change during the pandemic. These include institutionalizing telemedicine waivers, licensure to practice and enable billing across the state lines and other measures that allow the flow of medicine services or medical services to um, severely affected regions should uh, be a priority. Now, they also want to clarify that, yes, COVID is a respiratory illness like other endemic illnesses such as influenza or respiratory uh, viruses or RSV. As such, it should be lumped into a new category to include as, um, all such respiratory diseases. Now, they were making decent sense and then, well, they shifted. The doctors propose people receive cards uh, that log their vaccination status, IV, i.e. rather uh, vaccine passports. These passports are merely virtue signals that uh, at this point, plus they're rife with authoritarian abuse. We're already seeing this crop up in cities that require vaccine passports. The unvaccinated are treated like second-class citizens. That, of course, is the point. Those who are pushing vax passes want to make life as difficult as possible for the unvaccinated in an attempt to bully them into compliance. Vaccine passports are not a good plan, nor are they consistent with the American way of life. Well, the author also wants to, I should say authors, also want to make the COVID vaccine a requirement for school-aged children. As an example, they bring up polio, the vaccine for which prevents uh, people from getting it. Uh, Conversely, the COVID vaccine doesn't prevent you from getting SARS-CoV-2. As Philip Klein notes at National Review, public school mandates have typically involved vaccines such as MMR against measles, mumps and rubella, uh, which offers lifetime protection. The current COVID vaccines have shown waning efficacy after a few months. Furthermore, the COVID vaccine has not been around long enough for us to know the long-term effects it could have on children. Well, this new normal, as it's being proposed, is not normal at all. We're merely in a less panicky, more resigned, but still authoritarian laden pandemic. So this is what's being proposed by advisors to the administration. And we'll see what uh, what happens next. Again, first, they want everyone to admit that COVID is here to stay. But they also assure their readers that uh, they're not proposing getting rid of the zero COVID policy altogether, which means these passports would uh, punish those who have uh, yet to receive the uh, uh, the COVID shots. So what does the new normal mean? What does it look like? Well, it's not really normal at all. It is definitely new. And we'll see what actually happens in the days ahead. Well, I want to remind you that next weekend is Mission Connection. If you've been looking for a new way to serve God and want to Learn more about contemporary world missions. You don't want to miss Mission Connection Northwest. That's coming up Friday and Saturday, the 21st and 22nd at Village Church in Beaverton. The Mission Conference can help you discover your place in God's global plan with dozens of workshops, 80 plus to be precise, exhibitors and resources, 80 plus of uh, of them as well. We're going to be broadcasting the Georgine Rice Show live from 4 to 6 uh, from that location on Friday. Um, we're also I'm also um, going to MC the conference along with uh, Bill McLeod, who is the executive director of Mission Connection, uh, a number of inspirational speakers, um, 
are going to be uh, present and the, the plenary sessions are especially uh, wonderful. Uh, Jenny Marie of uh, Frontiers, Operation Mobilization President Andrew Scott, uh, Pastor Adrian Reeves with the National African American Missions Conference and Kevin Palau with the uh, Palau Association are all going to be the plenary speakers and with the 80 opportunities uh, for uh, sessions uh, to hear the uh, breakout sessions and the exhibits and so on. It really is so packed with information and opportunity, you don't want to miss it. And of course, last year it was a virtual event. This year it is back to in-person. Now, the plenary sessions will be available uh, uh, online during the conference. So if you're not able to attend, uh, perhaps you are um, in a position where you shouldn't be around others. Uh, you can find that online and all the details can be found on the website. I'll give you that address in just a moment. Uh, but there will also have most um, of the uh, breakout sessions as well. Now, some are excluded because of uh, reasons of protection of those who are speaking. Maybe they're from a sensitive area where associating them with the ministry might endanger uh, people in a particular area. But all of that information can be found on the website, missionconnection.com. And uh, that's spelled with an X, Mission Connection, C-O-N-N-E-X-I-O-N, missionconnection.com. Again, that's coming up Friday and Saturday, the 21st and 22nd at Village Church in Beaverton. And I uh, hope that you will um, plan to attend. You can also um, find the link at kpdq.com. And I should mention that registration, as has been the case for the last several years, is required, but the event is free. And this is because area churches, and you can see a list of them, have underwritten this um, this mission conference. And uh, I, I hope you'll take the opportunity to attend uh, in person. Uh, but if uh, that you're not able to do that, you can certainly join us online. But that's coming up the 21st and 22nd. And again, we'll be broadcasting live from Mission Connection, which is at Village Church in Beaverton on Friday from 4 to 6. So. It's going to be a great uh, reunion for those who have attended before and perhaps a first time for others. Mission Connection Northwest. We'll also have an opportunity to hear about Mission Connection Southwest that during the pandemic in 2020 had their first event. It was very successful. And we'll hear more about that in Mission Connection Northwest celebrating its 20th anniversary. So all of that coming up next week. All right, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I want to thank James Blend for uh, producing, Sam Moppin for engineering, and thank you for making The Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night, and I hope you'll plan to join us right here tomorrow on The Georgine Rice Show. Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.